0: Hey, LifePoint Online, thanks so much for joining us today. My name's Dean, I'm the lead pastor here um, at LifePoint. I do the majority of teaching at our Lewis Center campus, but I'm so excited uh, to be with you today as we're continuing on in our label series, where we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. You know, This last week, we really transitioned uh, from reading the Gospel of Luke in the month of May to now in the month of June, we're praying the Gospel of Luke together. We've set an alarm every morning at 10.02, we're praying Luke 2 together, praying that one prayer that Jesus commanded us to pray, to ask God to send forth more servants, more laborers out into the harvest. And as matching day of the month uh, corresponds to the matching chapter of Luke. So Luke chapter one, we're praying on June 1st. And we're just now starting to work our way through praying those conclusions that we wrote down as we're reading through the gospel of Luke. So the conclusions that you wrote down on day one, Luke chapter one, now we're turning those conclusions about God into conversations with God, learning to pray the scriptures, uh, just those chapters at a time. And the reason we're calling this series Labels is because Luke um, is the gospel writer who writes to people who feel like they are um, isolated, far from God, kind of people who are, are on the fringes in a lot of ways. And um, we've said that we don't want to allow those that sense, those feelings. Um, we don't want to allow ourselves to be to be labeled, you know, we live in a world that does that, that pushes us into labeled categories. But the gospel calls us to a life that's above uh, labels. Uh, sometimes we label ourselves. Sometimes we allow other people to define us. But we want to say the things about ourselves that God, that God says about us. We don't. Uh, we don't want to allow those labels to become our limits, because that's often what happens in our lives. And so today I want to push back on a label and the best way that I can name this label would just be with uh, the word far. Maybe it's better to say too far. Um, Sometimes in our lives, we make decisions that we even surprise ourselves in the ways that we make them. Maybe we do things that we thought we would never do that. We would never cross this line. And as we do them and as we make decisions that in retrospect, as we look at it from maybe even a 20,000 foot view of our lives, we would not ever do that. We would not ever make that decision. And yet we find ourselves stepping, crossing lines, moving past boundaries that we never thought we would. And somehow we look at these things as like one one way roads or or one way bridges that we can never cross back from. Well, Luke chapter seven uh, tells us how Jesus feels about these decisions, these choices and these, these uh, bridges that we feel like we can't ever cross back from. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there and we'll start reading in verse 36 of Luke uh, chapter seven. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with him and he went into the Pharisees house and reclined. Um, at the table. Now, Jesus um, here is up in the northern region uh, of Israel. Uh, a Pharisee, we're later going to learn that the Pharisee's name is Simon. He invites Jesus. Luke makes sure to include that detail for us. That would have been important because that would have made Jesus the invited guest at Simon, uh, this Pharisee's house. Now, they had customs in their world, much like we have customs. When someone comes to your house, right? You go to the door and you greet them. Maybe you shake their hand. Maybe you give them a hug in the uh, fall or winter. You're going to take their coat for them. You're going to put it in a, in a closet. You're gonna, we, have, we have these customs of how we treat invited guests into our homes. They had the same uh, kinds uh, of realities in their world. Their customs are different, right, than, uh, than our customs. The first custom, someone, uh, an invited guest, an honored guest. Jesus was a rabbi. He would have been that in most people's homes. Um, the first thing that you would, you would have given someone a kiss. If they were an honored guest, you would have kissed their hand. If they were seen more as a peer, you would have given them the kiss, kiss uh, on the cheek that you still see today that's popular Uh, In the uh, in the Mediterranean world, Uh, the second thing is that you um, you would have given them uh, water, or or if you're wealthy enough, you had a house servant, you would have had their feet washed. If not, you would have at least um, offered them water to wash. Um, to wash their feet. Um, If you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this reality in the Luke series that the lowest job of a a house servant was to wash people's feet. Feet were very dirty in their world, uh, kind of uh, dusty, dry. Uh, They wore sandals all the time. They were in and around dung all of the time in their world. Um, an insult in their world when you were gonna uh, come up against a battle and, or in a battle and you were gonna try and overtake an enemy, that you were gonna make that enemy your footstool. Like that was the worst thing you could you could think of. So you would have, at the very least, you would have given them water to wash their feet. Um, thirdly, you would have offered them some oil. You would have put some oil, uh, maybe olive oil, something on their, on their head just to, to, to freshen them and freshen you up. A little bit, uh, certainly deodorant was... Uh, sparse uh, in the ancient world. And so to lighten the smell in the room, if you were gonna have an honored guest come in, you would offer them some oil. Another thing that was a little bit unusual about the ancient world is that um, when you had a dinner at your home, often these dinners were open air. Um, instead of sitting inside of a, of a house, a hut, whatever it was, where it was hot, you would eat outside, open air, kind of in, um, in public... Uh, view. Now, what's important to note, the reason I share all of this, and we're going to learn later on in the story, that Simon the Pharisee, um, he invites Jesus into his home, into an open air dinner, and he practices none of the normal customs. He he doesn't offer Jesus the greeting of a kiss. He doesn't offer Jesus um, water to wash his feet or have his feet washed. He doesn't offer Jesus Um, any oil. And so the people of that that village, that town, that area, they would have seen what's happening, right? Because this is Jesus and a Pharisee. I mean, this is like, this is TMZ paparazzi stuff. And they're going to watch and they're going to see this as Jesus is publicly insulted by Simon. It's like, um, it's like slap in the face. It's like would be an honored guest coming to your home. They ring the doorbell and you're sitting in your lazy boy in your living room and you say, yeah, come on in. Like you don't even get up out of your chair. You don't stop watching TV to really recognize. It it, it was insulting. And that's what Jesus receives. This was intentional on Simon's part and everyone, everyone would have known it. Here's what happens next in the story in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointed them anointed them with, um, with the ointment. So if things aren't already... T- Tense enough at Simon's house between Jesus and, and Simon, a woman shows up. Now later on, um, you're going to connect some dots and you're probably going to try and connect the dots and say that this is Mary. Now, what Mary? Um, there's some debate about that. In the fifth century, um, Pope, I think it was Pope Gregory, declared that this was Mary. Magdalene. And so that's been kind of carried through church history. Now the earlier church fathers, uh, Augustine, Origen, uh, Jerome, uh, they're skeptical about that, whether or not it's Mary Magdalene or not. Probably this is a Mary, but what we do know is that um, this lady, and we are gonna call, we'll call her Mary. I'm gonna let you draw the conclusions. There's a couple of different events in the gospels. Is it the same Mary? I don't know. I'll try and connect the events, leave the conclusions to you. Um, But this Mary comes, she is a known sinner. Most likely she's a prostitute and she comes. And so not only does she know who she is, does Jesus know who she is, but everybody else knows who she is. Certainly Simon knows who she is. And seeing Jesus kind of being insulted, she comes She brings the most valuable possession that she has, right? This alabaster vial full of spikenard, full of uh, ointment that probably would have been a life treasure for her. And she anoints Jesus till it at least runs down to his feet and weeping, crying and a substitute, I guess, for the water that he doesn't have to wash his feet. She uses her tears to wash, No, no towel? to dry his feet, no problem. She lets her hair down, which was a no-no in public, in, in their world. She lets her hair down and she wipes his feet with her tears and with the fragrance of that, uh, of that ointment. Now, this uh, in most scenarios, you, ex- you would expect someone like Jesus, certainly someone like Simon, a Pharisee. Um, uh, this would have been kind of a hands-off, untouchable kind of situation. Um, where I'm from in Southern Ohio, we use the phrase a lot. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. I was thinking about that this week, and I looked it up, and actually a 10-foot pole, um, the origin of that phrase, it was a barge pole in canals when they would move boats up and down canals in England and then earlier in our country. They used a 10-foot pole from the side, walking the canal, walking the barge up and down the canal to keep it away from the bank. And this would be a situation where you would think someone like Jesus, right? He's not going to touch this with with a 10-foot pole. But actually, much like we learn about the life of Jesus, it turns out very different than what we think, because this really leads us to, uh, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating conversations in all of the Gospels. Um, In verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it teacher, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, this is the beginning of this conversation. Jesus says, hey, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And I'm sure Simon, I mean, the story is getting juicy right now. I mean, the headlines tomorrow morning are gonna be the rabbi and the harlot, right? I mean, that's gonna be, I mean, Simon's like, oh, oh, we got him. This is the moment. This is gonna be the moment. The moment happened at my house. And Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to say. And Simon says, oh, by all means, say it. And Jesus says, you know, there were two people. They both owed a debt, one owed a small debt, one owned, owed a very big debt. The money lender calls both and forgives both debts. So here's my question for you, Simon. Simon, um, who is going to feel like, um, who's gonna feel like they have been forgiven the most? In other words, who's gonna love the most, Simon? Now, Simon, smart guy, he can see where this is heading. Basically what Jesus says, okay, I've got two people here. I've got a small debt person, I've got a big debt person. Both debts are forgiven. Which one's gonna love the most, Simon? And Simon says, well, I suppose, Simon knows what's coming. He says, well, I suppose the big debt person. And I can just imagine Jesus kind of chuckling under his breath like, you nailed it, Simon. You, you got it, buddy. You know, we judge things in our lives. We look at ourselves um, sometimes even in a variety. Um, of ways, um, we we raise our kids right in culture. We try and equip students, or uh, you try and help players if you have a team, if you're a coach, to to express themselves, but to have manners, right? We we try to do that. Inevitably, what happens in life is that we tend to compare ourselves to other to other people, and I don't know if you've ever had a, a child come to you and. Um, Generally speaking, when kids are little, they're very, very grateful for things. They interact well. As they get older, they start to compare and they come up with this phrase, it's not fair. This is not, this is not fair. In other words, somebody else is getting a benefit that I'm not getting, or I'm acting in a certain way that I think should secure me some benefits and I'm not getting the benefits. I think, interestingly enough, have you ever heard a kid say, you know what, Um, I'm getting this thing and not everybody, I'm getting these shoes and not everybody else is getting these shoes. It's not fair. So I probably shouldn't get the no, the reflection of that phrase is a reflection of the reality. When we say this is not fair, we don't ever mean that we want to give back because it's not fair as much as we want to receive. when we say that well, it's, it's, this isn't this isn't fair. And I think what Simon would be saying here is, well that parable is not really equivalent, Jesus, because the the small debt person should get better results. They should get more benefits than the big debt person, right? Thinking about kids and manners and all those kinds of things. When our kids were little, we wanted to try and encourage a sense of gratitude, um, even really before they could talk. And so with our kids, we taught them sign language uh, before they, and by we taught them sign language, my wife, Angie, taught them sign language before they could talk. So we taught them three, three symbols. So you're sitting at home, you're watching, uh, you're watching from somewhere this morning, so I'll teach you a little sign language. So you do it with me, all right? There, where you sit. So word number one um, that we that we taught our children was just a touch, it's a touch to the chin, right? It's thank you, right? Thank you. So go ahead, thank you. That's word number word number one. Um, <clears throat> the, the second word was to say please, right? Uh, was to express. Um, when you're trying to get, you just don't grab, you just don't take it, you, you say, please. And it's a hand right here, just below the throat, right? A little rubbing motion right there. That's that's please. And then the final one was if you wanted more of something, especially when you were eating, more is just take your fingers like this, right? Just, just go like that, that's more. So thank you, right? Please and and more. Now, what was funny with our with our kids uh, was as they learned these, they really began to communicate well at a at a you know pretty young young age. Um, I, Probably got too much enjoyment of whenever we would give our kids dessert when they were little. Um, you know, you give them a bite, let's say, of ice cream at a birthday party or something like that, and they would start going crazy. More, 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 and this turned into like a chicken wing. Like they wanted to get it out so fast, right? It was more, 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 please, 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 please. And I probably shouldn't have enjoyed that as much as I, much as I did as a parent, but it was fairly good entertainment at that at that point in my life. And I, I think about Simon, and I think about. I think about Mary and the contrast between small debt people and the way, or at least seeming small debt people, the way they think about themselves and big debt people and the way that they think about themselves and the way they communicate in the text, because that's really what in my mind leads to the fascinating part of, of the conversation. Uh, picking it back up in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he, he, Jesus, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She, uh, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them down with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed uh, my feet with, with ointment. So, The first line of that phrase is critically important and Luke says it specifically. Luke says, then Jesus looking at the woman says to Simon, So just imagine yourself in conversation, right? Up until this point, it's been been Jesus and Simon, Jesus and Simon, kind of this theological chess match going on between two Titans um, in their culture. But then enter Mary who's washing Jesus' feet and listen to what Luke says. Then Jesus, looking at the woman, looking at Mary, but talking to Simon. So by looking at Mary, but talking to Simon, Jesus forces, he forces the Pharisee, he forces Simon to look at her. And he even asks him, he's looking at Mary, he says, Simon, do you see this woman? And he forces Simon to see what he would never otherwise see. He forces Simon to look where because of his self-righteousness, he would never look. And Jesus says, you know what, Simon? It's okay that you've publicly insulted me. It's okay that you didn't didn't give me any water for my feet. It's okay that you didn't give me any kiss. It's It's okay that you didn't give me any ointment because she has given me all of these things. And if you could imagine the tension and yeah, the tension between the two and the whole village out there, people, because the the majority of people who live in Israel, just like the majority of people who live, the majority of people feel like her, not like him, right? The majority of people don't come to God thinking, well, I'm very, very righteous. The majority of us feel like, how could Jesus love somebody like me when I've made the choices, when I've crossed the bridges, when I've passed all the one way signs and I don't think there's any way back. And I love it that Jesus looks at her, he talks to him, he forces Simon, Mr. Self-righteous to look at her and he gives her dignity, he gives her value. And here's Mary thinking, I- I've just got to think that she had this sense of watching be- Jesus be insulted. She's like, this isn't right. And if nobody else is going to do something, I'm going to do something. And she grabs her life savings. <laughs> And she comes and she just dumps it on Jesus, and she, in essence, is saying, "I'm going to be his champion. If nobody else is going to be, I'm going to be his champion." And the reality of what happens is that, in the midst of that, she thinks she's going to be Jesus's champion, and what really happens is just the opposite of that occurs because Jesus becomes Jesus becomes her champion. It is a beautiful moment in the gospels. And here's how Jesus rounds out, rounds out the discussion in verse 47. Jesus says to Simon, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many. And I love it here. Jesus doesn't let her off the hook for her sin. Just like he doesn't let you off the hook. Just like he doesn't let me off the hook for my sins. He doesn't let her off the hook. He doesn't say, you know what? What she's done, it's not a big deal. Simon, what you've done, it's not a big deal. But here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, did you notice the change in pronouns? She who loves much, talking about Mary, she's forgiven because she understands. She understands she's a big debt person. But he, all of a sudden the pronouns shift, speaking now about Simon, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I wanna give you um, just three uh, three conclusions uh, that I see um, from the text. Um, three things that come from what I think is one of the most beautiful stories in all the scriptures. Number one, conclusion number one, salvation is just as beautiful as it is useful um, what I mean by that is that in the West in American Christianity maybe in particular we have the tendency to talk about salvation only in transactional terms right we tend to uh, we tend to use the metaphors and that are used in the New Testament which are absolutely truthful but that's all we that, those are the only so we talk about the the payment for sin we talk about um, the exchange, we call it the great exchange. It takes place like um, Jesus died on the cross and therefore in his death, his righteousness is applied to my account, right? That's a, that's a metaphorical term, accounting. And um, uh, so his death is applied to my account. My sin is applied to his account, right? And so there's this exchange. that t- And all of that is true. Transactional, it's very important in the uh, theology of salvation. And it's important for us to note that salvation is not just a wise business decision, right? Salvation is not just uh, a transaction that that takes place. But salvation, there is beauty in the death, burial and resurrection. There is beauty and there's drama in the sacrifice of Jesus offering himself up in our place for us, um, for our sins. One of my favorite teachers, he says it this way. Um, he says, we don't come to Jesus because he's useful. We come to Jesus because he's beautiful. And there's nothing <laughs> more useful than a savior who is beautiful. If we're not careful in salvation, we will have this tendency to come to God for the benefits instead of for the beauty. And what happens there is that when the perceived benefits stop or run out in our minds, so then will our allegiance, love, and passion. Then we come to Jesus because he's beautiful and out of the beauty, it is absolutely It's absolutely useful, which leads me to the second conclusion that the more you and I understand our own sin, the more then we will appreciate God's grace. The more you understand your sin, the more I understand my sin, the more you will appreciate God's grace. You know, in some ways, this woman, Mary, she's seen as... um, as untouchable as a maybe someone to be discarded in their culture or someone who's labeled too far from god too prodigal too whatever but in some ways she's the closest of all the people in her culture because she understands the choices she's made the decisions that she's made she understands now the goodness and grace of God in ways that other people don't. So the question then is on your shoulders and my shoulders, do you understand your spiritual debt? Do you understand how big it is? Do you see yourself as a big debt person or do you see yourself as a small debt person? Do you see yourself as somebody who you know is pretty good, better than some, maybe not as good as everybody, but but better than most therefore deserving of certain benefits, certain blessings because of, do you feel this reality of uh, it's not fair that regularly runs out of your heart? Certainly it's gonna characterize our lives at moments along the way um, in, in difficult moments or maybe even in a season. But is that the normal pattern, the normal rhythm of your heart is just to say, oh, it's not fair, you're always comparing yourself to others. When it comes to your relationship um, with God, are are you more of a thank you person or are you more of a more please kind of person? What's the natural outworking of your, the more that you understand the separation between you and God, because of your sin, you're born into this world with it, the more you understand the debt that you owe. The more you understand. I, my, my, uh, my brother-in-law, he's got, uh, he's got three kids and they're growing up and every now and then I think the oldest will come to him looking at his younger siblings and he'll say things like, dad, it's not fair. This isn't fair. And um, my brother-in-law periodically looks at his son and says, son, you don't want fair. Fair is that you have to earn everything you get. Fair is that you provide and that you make your own way for things. The Son, you don't want fair. And I wonder how many times in our lives when we go to God and say, this isn't fair. We don't realize we don't want fair. We don't wanna have to earn our way. We don't want to have to be perfect. What we want is grace. I think in this story, um, you and I are gonna find a tendency to identify with either Simon more or Mary more. And in thinking about it, reflecting on it this week, one of the things that I've thought about is that um, I think, the more I think about it, the more I find that I'm both. That there are moments where I'm keenly aware of my sin. There are moments where I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for all that God has given to me. And then there are moments when um, I compare myself to other people and feel like I deserve better treatment than I get. And I find myself at times uh, being more harsh and critical and judgmental, I find myself labeling people in ways that God never labeled people. Even though I wouldn't say it on the outside, I find it on the, I find it on the inside. So that'll just lead me uh, to also say just a little sidebar note. I know a lot of you uh, listen to Christian podcasts, uh, read a lot of Christian books, uh, search a lot online, and all of that is great, all helpful, incredible. And I will say to you that there is a certain genre in Christian media uh, right now that is harsh and critical and uh, judgmental. Uh, There's a certain group of people that you will find who make a living off of Christian hot takes. They just wait for somebody to fall, wait for somebody to mess up, they wait for somebody to say the wrong thing just so they can pounce on it, create a video about it so that you'll click on it so they can make money off of it, off of being uh, the first to say, see, I was right, off being the first to say, um, uh, "You know, be careful and protect yourself from these other people, which is another way of saying, you just need to listen to me, right? Um, they're the they're the first to um, get that little tinge of joy. It feels like when somebody else makes a mistake, and I, w- I want to be clear: we need to hold people accountable. I'm not I'm not saying that, but we do that even lovingly, not in a harsh, critical, demeaning, name calling kind of way. And So just be careful. Just guard your soul. It, it will poison your soul against. The beauty of coming to Christ and understanding, um, understanding your own spiritual debt, it leads me to uh, the third idea. So, um, when this event, man, man, there's some controversy. Like I said earlier, you know, among our early church fathers, it's the same event, event or different event um, that happens in John 12. It is Mary um, in John 12 who comes and brings the alabaster box, right? She brings hers, and she anoints Christ. When this happens in John 12, it's interesting that Judas is the one who objects. I'll read it to you uh, just quickly as we get ready to kind of wrap. Judas says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John adds this note. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself what was put into it. So Judas looks at, uh, at uh, this ointment being put onto Jesus. It's, it's worth a year's wages. So think about what you earn in a year, the value of that. And Judas says, wait a minute, think about all the people we could have helped with that. And John says, well, he didn't really care about helping people. He was a he was, a th- he was the treasurer of the disciples. And he wasn't even the most qualified, right? Matthew was a tax collector. If anyone understood finances and money, and it should have been Matthew, but Judas used to skim the till. He used to rob God of the things that went into their financial resources for the disciples. And here's Jesus' response. Um, not, not that Jesus didn't want to help people who were in in impoverished situations. But in verse seven, Jesus responds, he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it in mind for the day of my burial. Jesus says about Mary, he says, hey, leave her be, because she's preaching my funeral. It's an interesting statement. She does this, he says, against the day against the day of my burial. I was thinking about that this week. It would be, um, it's incredibly odd for Judas to make that statement in regards to the son of God. But think about it in our world. We all say things like, now listen, when I die, don't spend a lot of money on me, right? Just stick me in a box somewhere and shuffle me off. We all say that. But can you imagine someone actually walking into a funeral service and in front of everyone else saying, why did you all spend all this money? Like, look at that expensive casket. You you could've bought something that was way cheaper than that. Why'd you spend all this money on all these flowers? Think about all the money you could have saved. In essence, Judas was saying, Jesus isn't worth this. He's He's not worth this. But he was to marry. That's the third. That's the third um, idea. Is that when you understand that you're a big debt person, when you understand your sin, generosity will be the natural outflow of your life when you understand that you are far from God, but God has brought you near, when you understand that God has done for you what you could never do for you, generosity is really not a problem because you have this understanding that Jesus is worth it. Mary brought the most valuable possession she had to the most valuable person that she knew. And when it comes to our financial lives, a lot of times and our relationship with God, we tend to ask limiting questions. We tend to ask questions like, well, how much do I have to give? And the supposition underneath that question is, I wanna keep God off my back and I wanna make sure he's gonna help me. So how much do I have to? And you see this completely separate position coming from people like Mary who understand they are big, big debt people. Most valuable possession she had to the most valuable person that she knew. So my hope and my prayer for us is that generosity will grow out of the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ offered for our lives as he turns his gaze towards us and he Sees us. No one is outside of his gaze. No one has crossed too many lines, um, run through too many boundaries, crossed too many bridges that they can't come home because of the grace and the goodness of God. We can be changed. We can be different. We can be people who live open handed, generous lives. That instead of being More and more and more and more and more people. We can grow to become thank you people out of the goodness of what God has done for us. Let's pray together. God, really today, the prayer and the anthem of our heart is that you are worth it. You are worth anything and everything in our lives. Thank you that in our worst moments, you see us and you come to us and you saved us. God, I pray that you will make our lives an accurate picture. That I pray for anybody who's listening this morning, God, who finds themselves in that spot and space that maybe today, God, they would take that step into relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian and you want to take that step of following Christ. You want to align your life with his death for you. And yes, there's a great exchange that takes place there. You are forgiven of all of your sin. But the beauty of it is, is that not only does he save you in a transactional way, but that he's with you through anything and everything. If you'd like to take that step today, we would love to help you do that on whatever platform you're watching, whether that's a link on our social media platforms or maybe you're watching um, on Apple TV uh, or Roku, um, you can go to lifepointohio.com forward slash watch. And there's uh, a button there uh, that says next steps. Click on that link. Let us know about your decision. It'll take you less, um, less than 30 seconds to fill out Uh, that digital guest card, and you can do a number of things there. Let us know you followed Christ today. We would love to send you a free resource, a free book that we've written called Your Next 30 Days. It'll just help you to know how to go and grow Uh, from here. If you'd like to share a prayer request with us, it's our joy to pray with you. If you'd like to take the step of going public with your baptism to begin that conversation, you can do that there um, as well. If you're our guest, um, man, thanks so much uh, for being with us. If you would just take the opportunity in both those places to click on the guest info button, it'll take you less again than 30 seconds to fill out that guest card. There are five ministries that are listed there. You choose one that's closest to you um, and we'll make an additional $5 donation uh, to that partner uh, in your honor just to give you the opportunity to do something kind today for taking the time uh, to be with us. For those of you who are regular attenders and members, your financial giving, the generosity that you share with us, much like we saw Mary uh, share in the passage today, is making an incredible difference. I'll show you a picture of a friend of mine who just got back from the Ukraine about 10 days ago. He and a couple of team members went and they encouraged about 16 pastors, ministry leaders uh, there in Ukraine and it's been our joy over the last few months, our national network of churches to, um, to gather resources and to send those. And uh, we just kind of crossed a milestone um, in that. So just to share with you, our church has been able to be part of uh, now giving over $10 million to Ukraine, to help refugee efforts, to help pastors and churches who are ministering to people there. And so I'm grateful for how you share and your resources with us. And if you'd like to do that, you can just click on the online giving button in the link or at life.onohio.com forward slash watch if you would like to share your tithes and offerings with us today. Once again, I'm grateful that you've joined us today. I hope you'll take just a second now and worship with us in the reality of God's goodness to us in salvation.